said that heroes run towards danger and healthcare workers have been proving that every day. But not many have run halfway around the world like this remarkable bunch of Australian nurses. They left their families almost a month ago to work night shift inside a busy tent hospital in northern Italy. Here's Dan Nolan's exclusive report. It's challenging, it's uh, amazing, it's confronting. The care that we're able to give these people um, is a real privilege. It's tough, Yaka, but we're here for the cause. They're in a fight against this virus. They're fighting with their lives. We just get on with it. No matter how tough it is, we support each other. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. We want to be the people that run towards a disaster. It's a real privilege and honour to be able to interview Liz tonight and it's so good to have you here joining us from whatever platform you're joining us from. Uh, so we're going to interview Liz who has such an interesting story and I'm going to introduce her to you now. Uh, Liz, thanks so much for coming and joining us thanks, tonight. Um, just tell us, so that people can know who you are a little bit, just tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So um, I became a Christian at the age of 17 and I've been following God ever since then. I'm a paramedic um, and I teach at the university as well, so I teach the paramedic students, which I really enjoy doing. I live up on the Sunshine Coast and I love surfing. That's one of my um, greatest happy, joy, joyous times to be out in the ocean. Yeah. Um, so that's just a bit about me. So, yeah. Um now, this is quite an interesting story because uh, we are right in the... Well, we're probably starting to come out of it a little bit of this COVID season, but it's this just hasn't impacted, you know, our city or our nation, but globally, the world. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty through the whole COVID season. Yeah, fear, worry, uncertainty of, you know, how is this all going to pan out? Yeah. And, of course, then the isolation, people being isolated. But what's remarkable about your story is... Uh, in this season, you worked uh, in Italy in a field hospital uh, and you left at a time where everyone's starting to isolate. You literally fly into Italy, uh, which was quite full on. Mm. Um, and we're watching through the news and stuff like that. Mm. And I think the big thing is, and maybe people are wondering, like, what, like how did that come about? And, yeah. and what prompted you to, to do that? Yeah. So I guess I've always had a sense of adventure and uh, in my work as a paramedic, I sometimes go into dangerous situations as well. Uh, so for me, it was a step up, a next next level to go to something that big. Yep. Um, and when I left the country, there was a great deal of uncertainty about um, COVID-19. Um, there they didn't know very much about it. They just knew there was a lot of deaths happening and we didn't know where it was going to go in Australia. Um, so when I left, um, I went uh, down to Brisbane to the airport and I was the only Australian citizen leaving. So I was in a lineup um, with all internationals down there um, leaving to go home to their countries. And I tentatively put up my hand when the officials said, is there any Australians leaving? Because for them, everything had shut down. So yeah. um, at that point, no one was leaving Australia at all, unless under really exceptional circumstances. So 
I, I guess leading up to that, um, I didn't know three, until three to four days um, whether I was actually going or not. But I had a sense in my heart that God was saying, this is the deployment I want you to go on with Samaritan's Purse. So they do head into disasters. Yeah. They go into the acute phase of the disaster, earthquakes, tsunamis, the Ebola crisis. Um, and I'd just been waiting for that right deployment where God said, go, this is, this is the time that I want you to go. Yeah. So when I made that decision, I had a great sense of peace. There wasn't um, anxiety or a, a sense of confusion. I just knew in my heart that this is the right thing that um, God wanted me to do. Yeah, which is interesting because a lot of people may have been at home feeling quite fearful about yeah. everything. Yeah. And yet you're about to fly into a, a really intense zone um, and yet you have total peace, which is quite yeah. powerful. Yeah. What was the flight like? Like if, if there wasn't many people leaving Australia, I imagine it would have been pretty quiet. Yeah. Like, so um, we flew from Brisbane to Doha, uh, with Qatar Airlines. That was the only airline at that time. And then um, from Doha, we went to Italy. So the plane progressively became um, emptier and emptier as we joined each flight. Uh, by the time we got to Rome, to the airport there, it was completely deserted. Um, and the officials there had a sense kind of that they... I, I, I sensed that they were very discouraged. Mm -hmm. And they just were kind of sitting there and didn't know what to do. Um, and then we got on the plane from Rome and went up to northern Italy, so Milan. So that plane trip was unlike anything I've ever experienced. So we were on a 500-seater plane and we were the only um, Aussies, we were the only people heading up into that yeah, right. place. And, and, how, was, and how many were there of you? <laughs> so there was three of us heading yeah, well. yeah, on this plane up there. So that was when I started to get a sense of, wow, this is the reality really hit in at that time for me where I looked out of the aeroplane window and the highways and the towns were just deserted. There wasn't a car on the road. And I just said, God... I, I believe that you have called me to do this, but that's when the sense of the reality of, of what had a bomb had gone off in this country um, in a, a figurative sense. And I just got a sense like this is, this is what God's called me into and this, I had, there is a greater calling and purpose than I even anticipated as yeah. I sat on that plane. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So what happened then? You land yes. and then you... Um, go to the field hospital that's already set up, is yes, that right? Yes, So what was your role? What were you doing at the field hospital? And maybe if you could even just tell us a little bit of what that looked like, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, so we arrived there and they gave us a pretty brief um, induction. Um, so they were really busy when I arrived um, and there was a sense that they wanted us to kind of dive into working after a couple of hours sleep, which we did. Um, they told us that we were going to be on the night shift. So we were taking over from some of the staff that were leaving to go home who were very fatigued. Um, and so we arrived there and um, I had, I think I slept that day and then started on the night shift that night. So um, we, I was told that I'd be working in the ICU alongside the nurses, so the ICU nurses and the doctors. Um, so my role was to kind of go in and out of the hot and cold zones. 
So there's a cold zone um, where you don't have to be in full PPE uh, gear. And then um, to go into the hot zone, it takes about 20 minutes to put on all, all the gear that you need. Um, and uh, then to take it off, it takes about half an hour because there's all these steps to taking it off. And you've got to wash your gloves with chlorine. There's chlorine taps with water and chlorine mixed. Wow. So that was a big process that they kind of um, went through really stringently with us. Um, so my role was to go in and out. So I kind of supported the ICU nurses in their role. And then um, there was a pharmacy in the cold zone. So when I was walking around coordinating, I'd get the drugs for the nurses. Um, so you can't just hand them over the fence to them in the hot zone. You've got to push them over a bridge. There's like a wooden bridge between the cold zone and the hot zone. So you can't take in your mobile phone into the hot zone. Anything that is in there has to be left in there. Yeah. Um, so when we got um, to the cold zone, you'd have to get changed out of your clothes, get put in scrubs um, that were bleached, um, and then you'd, you wouldn't take them back to the hotel with you. So there was a yeah, huge difference between what could be in the cold zone and the hot zone. And um, so for the nurses, uh, they're working hours upon hours. Uh, for them to come out and even use the bathroom, for example, is, yeah. is quite a big deal. So. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, like, you're right in the face of it and on the front line of it. Um, are, you, are you dealing and working with patients? I, I imagine you're, you're working with patients that have, you know, got coronavirus. Yeah. Um, it must have been such a difficult situation. Like, what were your emotions like? What are you yeah. feeling? What are you going through? So, um, behind me is the, um, the main ICU tent. So... I don't know if you guys can see that. So um, the other tents are kind of the milder cases of um, where they had patients. But that first night that I walked into that, the big tent, the ICU tent, um, it was very confronting to see these patients struggling, fighting for their lives against this virus that we'd only seen about on TV. Mm. Um, so when I first walked in there, it was it was a shock, and I, I I see sick patients in my job, but seeing the amount of patients in that room um, fighting to breathe uh, was was quite shocking for me. Mm. Um, yeah, what was what? Else? Oh, just it, it just must have been quite confronting for you, yeah. and just the emotions and yeah. So it was definitely um, confronting, and. Um, and I, I, that didn't really change throughout the time there. Each time I went into that ICU, and the more you kind of got to know the patients and their stories and, um, and, and watch their either deterioration or their progression towards getting better, um, you became quite attached to them. And um, mm. seeing, seeing humanity in that state uh, is, is something that I won't forget for a long time. And it really brought home to me... Um, just that we're, we're in this world and, and bad things do happen to people and uh, humans are reduced to that state. And I know that God, that's not God's heart at all, but that was the reality in front of me. And, um, yeah, I definitely had to process through, yeah, through that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It must have been hard as well because I'm at, like, there'd be no family members or friends, like, no one would be able to visit. Yeah. And that must have been so tough for yeah. the patients as well. 
So in the ICU, um, we were their family, but for them, they where we don't even speak their language. Yeah. Um, they they don't know who we are, and um, and we're in this full face shield mask. All they can see is our eyes. <laughs> And um, they can, we can hold their hands, but we're double gloved. So um, we can hold their hands and we can um, communicate love through our eyes. Um, but for, for a lot of them, um, it, was, it was very difficult because they knew they would never see their families again. Uh, we were able to FaceTime their families so they could say goodbye to them. Um, but um, we and the translators, uh, the translators more so because they could connect with them and they were from their community, um, but we were the last people that they saw before they passed on, passed away. So um, very difficult circumstances because I think all of us like to think that when we die, we want to be surrounded with family and friends in, in a dignified manner and be able to hold someone who's known us forever. We want to be yeah. able to hold their hands. And um, so for them to be completely isolated from that, from the family and friends, um, it was, I can imagine, must have been very so difficult tough. for them. So, yeah. Yeah. Was there opportunities in the midst of that to be able to somewhat share hope and encouragement yeah. in, in some way, like? Absolutely. So we were able to pray for them um, and sing to them. We played worship music um, and we spoke to them of the love of God um, because a lot of them were still um, semi-conscious in that transition from life to death. Um, and um, the trans through the translators, we were able to speak to them about um, the hope we have in, in God and... Um, and a lot of them were so open to that. They were so yeah. open to, to hearing about God and, and the gospel. So, yeah. yeah. Obviously, so many tough situations and circumstances. In the midst of that, though, were there some stories that were quite... Were there some positive things yeah. um, that came out of it as well? Like? Yeah. So um, there were several people who we didn't think were going to make it um, and they'd been ventilated, intubated, and they had um, been fighting for several weeks. And there was one dear man um, in his 60s that I I just felt a connection to and I'd, I'd seen him ventilated, so that means that they're asleep. They're put asleep with a tube down their throat. Um, and um, I'd just been laying, praying for him and um, just really, um, I don't know, asking God that, that you would... He would help him through the fight of his life. And um, one, one night um, after um, two and a half weeks of being there, he opened his eyes. He'd, um, they'd taken the tube out, so that's a good sign. But he opened his eyes to me when I held his hand and he squeezed my hand. It was the most, he was so weak, he couldn't even lift up his arm because he's just been ventilated for weeks on end. But he gave me this little squeeze and that, like human to human, I mean, God has made, made us like we are, but it was just the most powerful thing for me to be able to um, just to, to have that contact with him and him, him do that um, back to me. And 
Um, and he did progressively get better and he actually uh, came to Christ um, two weeks later. So um, wow. he, um, on the last day, it's, so it's a big deal if someone leaves the ICU mm-hmm. and he um, got, he, they were, he was put in a wheelchair. So on his last day there, um, we all lined up in the um, the nurses in the hot zone and then um, I was in the cold zone and we all lined up and clapped for him um, as he went from the ICU back to his home and to his family. And um, that was a really special moment because um, not only had he been healed but um, he now had a relationship with God um, that mm. he will have for the rest of his life. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I imagine as you're sharing, uh, you mentioned before sharing the gospel with, with these people and, and sharing about God's love, and that all had to be done through translators. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, obviously, the translators are hearing all this. Are there stories of, you know, the translators being impacted in the yeah. midst of that? So I guess for them it was, it was quite confronting because they're not um, clinical at all. They're not medically trained, um, but they came in with us and... Um, were able to kind of connect with the patients in a way that we couldn't. Um, and they they were the bridge for us, basically, um, to be able to communicate with our patients. And um, they they saw death in front of them like they'd never seen before. That It was a lot of young people. And um, for them, it was, um, it was life-changing, they told me. And... Most of them um, gave their hearts to Christ at the end of wow. their their time with us, um, because they they had, they said they had felt and seen God during that time, and um, the way that we were had come in to help them and help their people, and um, how they've seen God's love um, in the way that we've been able to care for the patients and and how they've been able to be build relationship with the patients as well, mm. just. The whole experience for them, I think, really changed them, and they, um, a lot of them, committed their hearts to Christ. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, um, you know, there's some really difficult situations. There were some really positive things that came out of it as well, like you just mentioned. But in that in that dark, difficult situation, I think sometimes there can be a sense where people say, "Well, where is God in the midst of this?" Yeah. And not not only where is God, but like surely He can't love us. Like like, yeah. Where is God? Yeah. And we often hear that through those difficult circumstances. What how what's what was your experience? Yeah. Being there and being right in the midst yeah. of it. So not only were we in darkness for that four weeks because of the night shift, I felt quite a spiritual darkness going into that epicenter where yeah. so many people had died there was definitely a heaviness over the place. So I feel coming away from it that there was, I I experienced, I'll be honest, a a darkness that I'd not experienced before. And um, at times it it did feel overwhelming for me. But the amazing thing coming out of that deployment is this sense of God being there and working behind the scenes and being present in every situation uh, to the point where um, I I would just long for that time that I could have um, during my break with him um, when it was so quiet on the night shift and I got this sense of him that I've never experienced before and it's 
coming back to Australia, I still have that with me, that he he is so present. He's a very present help in times of distress, in times of danger, in times when we, when we most need him. Mm. Um, and I experienced that in that situation of great darkness um, because I, I really understood that, that he's light and there is no darkness in him, but he's not afraid to go into the darkness. And we as Christians are called into dark places that sometimes seem so overwhelming, but he's there with us and he's our light and he's inside of us. And um, I just felt a special connection with him that I'd never experienced before. Yeah, yeah. It's quite powerful hearing you talk about that because I think it almost sounds contrary to how people might feel, like how could God be in the midst of this? But from your experience, it's been, sounds like it was quite the opposite. It was yeah. actually the nearness of God than ever. So The nearness of God and his love. So I guess focusing on his father's heart and um, that that's not his heart is for all those people to die, but he does have a greater good. Mm. He's got a plan. He knows, he knows what's going on. He knew about COVID-19 before it happened. Is there any, I don't know, final um, experiences that you had mm. um, that were quite significant for you, like quite impactful? Yeah, so on the, on the, last, um, on the last night, we were invited to go up to the hospital roof. So not my fault. Our field hospital was next to the main hospital in the town and um, they wanted us to see the sunrise. So we did our 14-hour um, shift and, and went up at about 5 o'clock and um, I just was watching this, this sunrise. It was so quiet and yet it was coming up gold, pink, yellow, orange, beautiful colours. And I just, I felt overwhelmed because I thought of all the people that had um, passed away underneath my feet. So literally in that hospital, many people had, had died and suffered as well. Many thousands. And I just... It was such a contrast to, to what I was seeing with, um, with this sunrise in front of me. And I just really felt that God was saying, my faithfulness is new every morning. Um, my love and my mercy is new every morning. And I knew then that he's still a good God. Our home is not on this earth and there is suffering, but he is still good and he's still present and um, just seeing that sunrise um, really uh, just touched my heart and it, it, it kind of it dispelled the darkness that I'd kind of experienced for the last mm. four weeks on those night shifts. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Were the, was the community impacted a bit too? Like you must yeah. have experienced that coming yep. in. So um, the community was very much impacted by us going into that epicentre and they said to us that, um, no one else had come to their aid. So obviously all, every country was experiencing their own uh, situation with COVID-19. Uh, but they said the fact that we came there um, and set up our field hospital um, 
just really uh, impacted them and they could see love in action happening. And I remember walking down the street um, at the end when the bands had lifted a little bit and we could hear them saying Samaritan's Purse and then the rest of their Italian phrase. Um, so they knew they knew about us. The whole community was watching us and um, the mayor and the prime minister even came to see the hospital. And I think it just gave them some courage, some encouragement that, that people cared about their, their plight and their situation. Mm. Um, and so we did have a, a major impact on the community, on the translators and on the patients um, to bring the gospel about and... and um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Liz, for sharing your story and your journey. It's quite remarkable. And, um, yeah, just really appreciate it so much. Sure. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, David. No worries. Um, I was just going to share a little bit with you just in wrapping up uh, tonight. And I think uh, as Liz was sharing, one of the things, significant things that really came out for me was uh, she was just talking a little bit about... Um, just even in the midst of that darkness and the midst of that difficult circumstances and situations that all of us find ourselves in at some point or another, it can seem like, well, where is God in the midst of this? Like, is he distant? And not only is he distant, but the other thought is, you know, does he really love us? Like, why would we be going through this? Why would we be experiencing this if he loves us? And I I don't know what your journey is and maybe you're just watching here. Maybe you don't necessarily believe in God or... um, you're on a bit of a journey towards this concept or this idea of God and Jesus and what that looks like. And if you've ever wondered in your life, you know, could God really love me? Could he value me? Does he have a plan for me? Um, I've been through trials. I've been through tough circumstances. Maybe, maybe he doesn't love me. The answer is actually he does so much. And uh, even in our darkest times, even in the most difficult times, God's love is so present. And that was the, one of the things that I loved and valued so much as Liz shared. It was, it was her experience of in this place that she experienced God's love more uh, than ever before. And so um, every single one of us has gone through some uh, difficult times through this season. Um, but God is a God who is so present. God is a God who loves and values every single person so much. And He has a plan for our lives. I came across this scripture that I want to read out to you. It's found in Romans 8 and it says this in verse 35. It says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? In other words, can anything ever separate us from God's love? If God is real and He's there and He's got a plan and a purpose for our lives, can anything at all separate us from His love? Does it mean, it goes on to say, does it mean that He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Is that what it means? Does He no longer love us if we face those sort of circumstances? The very circumstances in which Liz has spoken about tonight, literally in the face of death, does that mean God is not there? Does that mean that God uh, does not love us? And Romans, in Romans, the writer of Romans literally answers that question for us. If you've ever wondered that, listen to this right now. Because in verse 37, he says this, he says, no. He says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Through Christ who what? Who loves us. That's what it says. 
You see, but what does that mean, that word victory? We have victory in Christ. What does that really mean for my life? Yes, we go through these difficult circumstances and situations, but what does that mean that we have victory in Him? You see, I don't think any of us would argue the fact that in this world we experience trouble and difficulties, but I want you to consider tonight that when God created the world, that was not His intention. His intention was not that we would go through trials and difficulties and suffering and face all sorts of diseases like coronavirus and and that we would face death. That wasn't His intention. As a matter of fact, He created a world that was perfect and full of love and joy and peace and harmony and no suffering, no heartache. But his heart and his desire was he set up a moral compass for us to live by. And that was to love him with all our heart and to love others. But we didn't do that. We decided to turn our backs on God, turn uh, rather than look outward and upward towards God, we looked inward on ourselves, turned our backs on God and focused in on self, rejected others, rejected God. And the consequences of that are heartache, pain, suffering, ultimately it's sin. And so the consequences ultimately means death. That's what it means. But you see, God loves you too much to leave it that way. Yes, our relationship with God was broken, but He loves you far too much to leave it there. And so out of His mercy and grace and out of His love for you, for me and for humanity, God said, I can't leave it that way. I must make a way so that I could have a restored relationship with you. I must make a way so that I could have a restored relationship with humanity again. And he sends his son into the world to live by the moral compass in which he set for us to live by, which is ultimately perfection. And none of us have lived up to that. But Jesus lived up to this standard of perfection, but then he died the criminal's death that we should have died because the consequences of our wrongdoing, the consequences of turning in on our is death. And Jesus says, He says, hey, I'll take that punishment for you. He dies on a cross, the very death that we should have died. But then the hope is that then He rises again, overcoming death to show that death is not the end that there is something more. And that's why Christians can stand with a sense of hope. That's why Christians talk about there is hope, that death is not the end, that that, that God does have a plan, as Liz mentioned just before, that He does have a plan because one day He's gonna set everything right. Just as He created a world of perfection, just as He created a world where there's no suffering, no more heartache, no more pain, He will set it all again and restore it all again where there'll be none of that. And the good news is this, that you can experience that that this wasn't his intention, but, but death has lost its sting because God will restore everything again. And what that means for you is this, is that if you put your faith and your trust in what God has done through Christ, then you can know the fullness and the hope found in God, that you can know the love of God in your own life. That's why the writer of Romans speaks about this confidence that there is a God who loves us. He hasn't left us or abandoned us. He doesn't, he's not angry or annoyed at us because we've wronged Him. Actually, he's have, He has compassion and mercy and love for us and says, I wanna know you, I wanna know you. I love you, I love you. And the writer of Romans goes on to say, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from His love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, which we've all had. Our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow, every single one of us experienced that. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is a remarkable promise. If you're listening to this online, whatever platform it might be, and you're thinking, I'm not sure if I know the love of God, then you can know His love this very night. You can know the fullness of all that He has to offer us through Christ. All you need to do is simply put your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you. You don't need to do anything. It's simply a gift of God and you can receive it this very night. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. But I just wanna share one last thing. Just this very week in our connect group, we had a girl come to our connect group and you know, she just shared about how uh, she grew up as an atheist and uh, got addicted to all sorts of stuff and couldn't get a, a rise above it, overcome it. And she got to a point in her life where she literally fell to her knees in desperation. And she said, God, if you are real, I need your help. I need your help. God met her in that very place. And from that moment on, her life was transformed and changed forever. And she began to share her story about how life has been transformed. We're sitting there listening to that. Like I'm in tears, like this is amazing. Her life radically changed and transformed. See this, well, I say this because this isn't just words. This is, this is the truth and the reality of people's lives that he comes into a person's life and he can transform it and change it. And as you're listening right now, he can do that in your life as well. Change your life and transform it. And I just, I just encourage you that you might be willing to say, okay, God, I, I wanna give it a go. Okay, God, I want you to take control of my life. I wanna surrender to your plan and your purpose for my life. I understand that even right now, you may be sitting with people that don't necessarily believe in what I'm saying or maybe are skeptical. And, but I do wanna lead you in a prayer. And I just say that because I don't want you to feel like you have to close your eyes or you necessarily need to fall on the ground. You can just say in your heart and in your head, God, I want to know you this very night. I want to receive you now. So I'm going to just pray a prayer. And if that's you tonight, I want to give you an opportunity just to repeat that prayer in your heart and in your mind. In essence, God, I want you. I need you. Why don't we pray together now? Father, I thank you for those that are listening right now. Some have been so touched and so impacted by what's been shared tonight. And if that's you tonight, just maybe in your own heart and in your head, you can just pray this prayer. Dear God, I just want you to be Lord and Saviour of my life. I wanna thank you for dying for my sins and rising again. Take control of my life from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been so good to have you here with us online. Uh, as I just mentioned, the goodness of our God, well, we wanna worship and thank Him and give Him praise tonight. So why don't we do that now as the band leads us in this next song and we give thanks to our great God. Thanks heaps. How incredible it is to be God's children. Uh, we've seen tonight what happens when God adopts us and transforms our lives, how He draws us into His work, His work that is overflowing in love. Who wouldn't wanna be a part of that? We're here because we wanna put our lives on the line for what God is doing, a work of love. And if you're here tonight and you'd like to find out more, if you, you wanna respond in any way at all, you can hit the respond button that'll come up on the platform that you're on. Um, or if you'd like to try Alpha or explore a bit more about faith, if you'd like to know what it is to live in the fullness of life, that's on offer here. We'd love to speak to you more about that. So even if you wanna email in,
to hello at bridgman.org.au. We'd love to chat to you more about that. But church, we wanna be praising God as we leave this service, knowing that we are gonna see Him do it again in our lives this week. So let's continue to praise Him and continue to live out our lives in worship as we see Him do great things in our lives this week. Be blessed, church. We'll see you next week.